Hello everyone, today is Friday the 8th of September 2017. It is block height 484,244. Kevin Pham says, it probably doesn't make sense to invest in a technology designed to circumvent regulators based on the hope it will be accepted by regulators. He's not wrong, is he? Especially with all this fake news going around. What's all this fake news? What do these publishers want anyway? What does a media outlet want with some fake news like this? Absolutely not manipulating the market. No, they, they, they want clicks, of course. What, that's what they want. They want clicks. Why? Why would they want clicks, Theo? Because they think that's going to get more people in their funnel. That's gonna, they're going to be able to monetize somehow or another. And if they have the right, uh, those people probably won't buy anything or click or anything, but they can put them on a graph and say, hey, hey, we have this many people visiting our site, so give us money so you can advertise your ICO on our website because we've got a bunch of crypto people coming on. And by the way, if you want to do, I mean, press re hey, press release is totally legitimate, especially when it's labeled as such. But if you want to do one, you know, we'll, we'll, we have an offer for that and we have a package for, you know, other advertisements too. And we might even have a package for articles that are, labeled as articles but don't tell yeah. anybody so just to distill this down this is of course the fake news story that came out earlier today which is that china is banning bitcoin again or that allegedly next week um you know some exchanges are going to get knocked up, knock on the door and that apparently you know some local exchanges in china are going to be asked to shut down it comes from an article in chinese that was i don't know maybe translated badly or something but in any case, it presented an opportunity for a media outlet to start spreading a story, which presented an opportunity for traders and, and large position holders in Bitcoin to start trading this as just some story, which is all it is. And if you've been around in Bitcoin for a long time, you know that this is episode 15 of China bans Bitcoin. And so you're probably going to be expecting in the coming days uh, a retraction of that, followed by China bans Bitcoin all over again. Um, but they did actually put out a correction, and this is just using the standard translate feature. This is on, uh, sorry, this is on uh, Cakeson, uh, pronouncing that correctly. And it says the domestic exchange between all the virtual currencies and the renminbi represented by Bitcoin and Ethereum will be closed in full time limits. That's how it's translated. However, the regulation is not against the virtual currency itself, nor does it prohibit the one to one OTC transa uh, transaction of the virtual currency. So I don't know really what that means but we did have quite a vociferous sort of backlash i had planned a whole tweet storm about it but no sooner could i start that tweet storm than the immune system of bitcoin kicked in and i wasn't trying to be literal i probably should have phrased this tweet a bit more carefully and put a question mark or something in there but then straight away so i was just playing along because i was in uh, the whale pool chat and i was like oh look china bans bitcoin again everyone and straight away the immune system kicks in and this is really good this is really healthy for the industry this means that people are clamping down on misinformation um as soon as it comes out telling me to like delete the tweet but actually i had a whole bunch of retweets uh after it because i'd logged in i'd seen seen what was going on and then meanwhile in in the chat room as well uh this is in the whale pool chat 
uh, run by Flibber et al. Go, go follow them at Whalepool on Twitter. Um, and this is Ray Van who says, Chinese exchanges said we didn't receive any note about this new law. That was one of the, the, the protests that we were getting on social media was that none of these other Chinese exchanges know anything about this. They said they haven't received anything. And he says, uh, legally, it means they didn't receive yet legal stamped or signed court order in quotes. Truth is that they didn't receive official statement yet as it was announced today. By law, you can't give such notices by phone or email official court order they will receive next week so exchanges didn't lie next week they will announce this and, th and this is so this goes into I think something that we've seen before happen in Bitcoin which is some news event will come out the traders will react emotionally to it and it all sells down everyone's panicking because the fear is setting in and it becomes a fear-driven market and then there will be some kind of correction followed by like, oh, okay, it's not as bad as I thought, followed by more negative press and FUD, probably, possibly, maybe next week, where you will see like a continuation. At least that's the pattern that I've seen before. I'm not making that as a steadfast prediction, just so you're all aware. Anyone else? But we know, yeah, that, I mean, so, okay, so for all the users out there that have uh, the, our viewers that bought 10 Bitcoin recently, uh, so what are they supposed to do with that? I mean, you know, we're talking about market structure and FUD waves and, you know, uh, I guess the official name for FUD waves would be um, data-driven market events. Uh, but basically in crypto, you could call it like China FUD waves and so on. So what are we supposed to do? What what are we going to do? And if someone does a uh, rocket chat or whatever the hell you call it for five bucks, what are we going to tell them if they ask us that? Well, if we, do, if we do do a super chat and you have just bought some Bitcoins and you want to know what to do with them, First of all, you should definitely be outsourcing your financial decisions to a bunch of unaccredited invest investment advisors like us, some randoms on the internet. You should always do what a random person tells you to do on the internet, especially if it's financially related. Shinobi, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, why, why would anybody steer you wrong on the internet? <laughs> but <Exactly>. uh, <laughs> So some personal advice that should be taken is coming from an idiot, though. I want to tell you guys a little story about the, the bottom uh, down to like 200. I, I spent the entire point when I went, made my first purchase from $800 all the way down to 200, anxious, making market moves, mining to accumulate that. And I actually, at that very bottom, sent all of my coins to Circle and was a little drunk and right about to just sell it all. And I decided at the last minute, fuck it. And I dumped my whole bank account in and pulled it all out. And it worked out. I'm not saying it's always going to work out that way. But if you're here and you actually believe in the system beyond just trying to make a quick buck, you hold. That's what you do. Hoddle, hoddle, hoddle. All right, so fake news, move on. But it made for a really good graphic, and we're also looking to increase ad, rep, ad, re, ad revenue on this channel as well. So remember to like, click, like, and subscribe, and spam all your friends with it on your Facebook, especially if you've got lots of followers. And remember, if you're coming in from like Venezuela, use a VPN, so it makes it look like you're coming in from the US. Otherwise, you, YouTube doesn't really value your input. Yeah, we, much. we don't get any money for that. We don't get any money for that, guys. Come on, we need to scale this thing. All right, talking of scale. When 140 million people have their personal identifiable information compromised on the internet, what happens, Johnny? Okay, so um, this article right here is a really good um, analysis of what's happened so far with the breach by Krebs on security. 
Um, he's an investigative journalist, and so there's several things that he includes in the analysis, which I want to go over, that have happened, like, um, come about or been made uh, that we've become aware of in the last 24 hours or so. Um, one of the things is that, um, obviously, we talked about yesterday how the site um, that uh, customers were told to sign up to in order to see if they had been impacted by the breach, which was Equifax Security 2017. Well, it's been having a couple of problems. For example, a bunch of people's browsers have been flagging it as a phishing site, and people think that has something to do with the fact that it was actually created only a couple of days ago. And uh, what happens with new sites is if they get a ton of traffic when they're new, uh, browsers, uh, something about how the browser, you know, queries that site, that it kind of flags it as being potentially suspicious because of all the traffic it's getting. Like, that's a weird thing for a new site to have is a ton of traffic. So it's been flagged as a phishing site, and apparently Equifax has been setting up a bunch of other domains, or other people have been setting up domains for them to kind of hedge against, because uh, possibly the hacker might set up a site and dump all the data on it, and they might use a catchy domain name like equahacks.com. And so, so they think that someone's been buying up those domains in the last couple of weeks in order to stop that from happening. Um, another thing, probably the biggest story to come out, is that uh, three people at Equifax, or who used to be at Equifax, have been accused of um, committing an exit scam because they sold uh, almost $2 million worth of the company's stock right before the breach was discovered. One of those people is, I believe, the chief financial officer, and then the other is uh, the information, I think something like the information services officer, I think uh, Darth commented on that. Um, and they've already said, no, we didn't commit an exit scam. We didn't know anything about the breach. But of course, everyone thinks that's kind of suspicious. And so there's a legal firm in New York that's already investigating it as of right now. Um, I think that's, uh, I mean, people have just been, oh, the other big thing, to, um, there's been a dispute about whether um, there is a, they, that whether they were trying to trick customers into um, waving themselves out of um, doing a class action lawsuit. Because if you read the uh, terms and conditions on the front page, it says, by consenting to submit your claims to arbitration, you will be forfeiting your right to bring or participate in any class action. And that's something that you, you agree to when you sign up for the credit monitoring and identity protection service that they're offering now to people. So a lot of people have been really upset about that and there's been a few articles coming out in the last hour or so saying that might not be the case they might not be um there might be that might be a special condition only for the uh, in regards to the breach but not for signing up for the services so we're still figuring out whether that's the case but still that's kind of a very confusing thing to have in your terms and conditions cool what does the panel make of it I was having a conversation today um, with somebody on on Twitter who's like, you know, into this kind of like uh, David Birch, sorry, so to give him a name, um, who's into like mainstream finance. He's kind of a Bitcoin skeptic, but also kind of open to, to some of these new technologies as well. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, Bitcoin won't go mainstream because people have to look after these seeds and these passwords and that's not going to scale. Um, and we did get into a bit of a philosophical conversation about, you know, what that means. And 
I was made the point to him, well, right now, you know, the, the hacker goes after the institution because that's where the honeypot is. I mean, think about it from the point of view of somebody who goes around, you know, hacking uh, for, for money, the uh, uh, black hat hacker. What do they fear the most? Do they fear that everyone starts to take control of their own private security using advanced tools that we could develop over the next 10 years? Or do they fear that the honeypots will get bigger? Well, I think that they want the honeypots to be bigger. I think they fear a decentralized approach because if they've got a low value target and they can't get as much from, from trying to break into each person's security rather than just going to one big firm like this, I just think this whole case highlights the point that at the moment people are outsourcing all of their security to these third parties who do no better job than uh, you know somebody that you know like us on here we've got more experience and we can secure our own credentials and our own information what struck me though was that so many of these people that were on this database didn't really opt in i mean they opted into a credit card but they didn't fully understand when they agreed to those terms how their data was going to be handled they didn't know it was going to be given to a third party that third party would store it and that at some point that would be a liability for them right yeah i mean that's right on the head like i i forget where i read this i'll try to track it down to put in the description later but there was actually a study done on the average incomes of hackers that, that steal private information like this and in most cases really only a few tens of thousands of dollars putting in like six months or more into some of these targets so these people are actually making less money doing all of this work taking all of this legal risk than they would just getting a job as a software developer somewhere and once you spread that target out and make it that much more labor intensive and difficult and time consuming you're really screwing over the opportunity cost uh, potential of that when it's already not that great yeah this is the meme image that that kicked off um that whole conversation that i had with david birch um, and, you know, talking to him about the, you know, things like the crypto steal, the Trezor wallet, um, all, all of these tools can, can be used. Um, and of course, the, 20, the, the $5 wrench attack came up with uh, reference to the 25th word. The 25th word is basically a reference to the HD wallet, the hierarchical deterministic wallet, not the high definition wallet. Um, and it's the concept that when you use um, something like the Trezor and some other hardware wallets as well, um, you get the option of having, well, you have 24 words, which is your seed, which can generate many, many wallets for you. Um, but then you have an extra word, a 25th word, which can give you the ability to encrypt your your wallet but this is this is the kicker the the advantage of this system is that every password is legitimate which means that you could put some fake bitcoins uh let me see if he has the example in this post here on the on the trezor website might struggle to find it now um but it means that you can create some plausibly deniable wallet that has, say, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin in it or 0.5 and say, look, this is all of my stash, honest. And the hacker can't falsify it. If they're just coming up to you with a $5 wrench and they're going to beat the password out of you, they can't prove whether those Bitcoins are all of your Bitcoins or not. Um, because every single password that you put into the device is a valid password. It will generate 
wallets for you. It will do all of that. Um, so it will just give you the impression that, yes, this is your, your real wallet, when in fact, your real Bitcoins are in another wallet with a different password. And, you know, David came back and understandably said, well, how does that get into the mainstream, right? Because it means that, you know, if you lose your passphrase, it will become irrecoverable. And then we had to go into the whole conversation about the insurance industry and how, you know, when you send a bank transfer in the UK or in internationally, that's also immutable. A lot of people don't mention that. When they talk about chargebacks, they're talking about credit cards. And that's unique to that payment process. That's unique to a property, a visa or a MasterCard or whatever payment process you're using. They have an insurance industry. And what they do is they have, like all insurance, they have to pay a premium and there's an excess, which means that when a merchant is has a few customers that come in and do some fraudulent transactions guess who ends up paying the bill well someone has to pick up that insurance tab so initially it's passed from the payment processor onto the merchant the merchant then passes it on to the customer by raising the price of all the products so everyone has to has to pay the cost for chargebacks they're not free they're a non-trivial property of the system and when you send a wire transfer which is really the correct analogy to use with bitcoin it's not competing i don't think with credit cards it's competing really with m1 m2 m3 uh, the money supply you know globally well those aren't retrievable if you send a bank transfer in the uk to somebody else you have to take that person to court if you want to get that reversed right so that chargeback carries a significant you know liability and payload with it so i don't think a lot of people price this in when they think about it and not you know to belabor the point but you know when the, all those bail-ins and those bailouts were happening you know post 2008 financial crisis i think a lot of people were just looking for an alternative you know and what, what about just taking responsibility for your own stuff as well like nobody's even thinking about that like stop outsourcing all of your financial responsibilities to other people rants over sorry i got the ranties i'm gonna stop that. that's all right it happens to the best of us but uh, w one thing, though, that people don't really take into consideration when looking at, at the wrench attack is with things like multi-sig and having a part of that like quasi-custodial relationship in somebody else's hand, you can set up uh, limitations and conditions through that other party as far as when and, and how much and so forth you can withdraw from that. So th there are ways to build types of systems that can counteract this to a degree in a way where you, it doesn't matter if they're hitting you with a wrench, they, they can only get so much or in, in a certain condition or, or can't at all. And it's it's just going to take time to really flesh out sort of the kinks and things like that. Yeah. So, Janine, talk to us about John Biggs and TechCrunch. Yeah, so this is one of the articles that came out in the last day about uh, it was basically responding to the Equifax hack. Um, and uh, according to John's article, he said that he was one of the people that tried to sign up. And so he's very frustrated. Um, and actually, his article was quite good. It, I mean, it was basically saying, you know, something has to change. This is unacceptable. Um, this service is terrible. Um, we shouldn't be outsourcing our data, but there's a little part uh, towards the end of it where he says that we should consider a blockchain-based alternative. And I don't know exactly what he means by that, but he does have a line, uh, where is it? Um, he has a line about giving our, we should, instead of trusting our data to these credit monitoring companies, instead we should entrust it to the crypto rati. 
which I thought was an interesting word to use, but I digress. Anyway, I thought that that was a, that kind of ruined the article because uh, anyone in the space should know we don't actually want people's data. That's not the point. We shouldn't be putting personally identifiable information on a blockchain. That is not the intent of this. In fact, one of the benefits of a blockchain is that you don't need the personally identifiable information and you don't need crediting monitoring credit monitoring services as much as you do in the traditional financial system because everyone controls their own money, unlike, you know, with credit card companies. Um, and full disclosure, uh, John Biggs wrote, uh, he's the one that wrote a article about Bcash about a month ago that was really bad because it basically presented Bcash as an upgrade to Bitcoin. That's what he, that's how he wrote it. It was an upgrade to Bitcoin and you better make sure to upgrade your wallet and everything so that you could get <laughs> take advantage of Bcash. I went, uh, if you could bring it up, I think I linked it somewhere, but I went into a long thread correcting his article on Twitter. I didn't go, I didn't use any uh, angry language. I just said, here are the facts, that's it. And he blocked me. So I can't correct this article that he wrote. He will never see it. So I'm telling everyone here now and maybe he'll watch this video because he can't block YouTube. Uh, well, I think that uh, maybe he needs a uh, ERC twenty token. It sounds like that should that's solve a lot a of his idea. problems. Dude, that's a very good an idea. ICO. They could do an ICO. ICO. It sounds uh, to me to me that sounded like you know ICO language. The seed has been planted. There's no problem in the world that can't be solved with an ICO. All right. Yep, it's like money. It fixes everything. What about P2 pool? Should we do an ICO for P2 pool? I mean, it sounds like a big money spin to me. Yes, as long as all the money goes directly to me and nobody else. <laughs> sounds good. How much do you want to build this? $20 million ought to do it? Uh, let's go with 200 <laughs> You want $200? For, for those of you... All right, I'll pay you nothing <laughs> to just explain why we're telling everyone about P2 pool scalability right now. Fine. For, for those of you that, that don't know what a P2 pool is, it's effectively a decentralized uh, mining pool. And it, what it actually does is it, it takes the, the main chain and it piggybacks a secondary parallel chain on that that is pretty much constructing a regular Bitcoin block. It's calling back to the last valid Bitcoin block header, except there is a difficulty target that is way lower to the point where it's supposed to find a block, like a share block as it's called, approximately every 30 seconds. And this is for a few different reasons. One, this is how you actually figure out the pay per share model to see what each individual hasher is entitled to. It also is a way to be able to throw out the historical um, share chain because as each uh, share block until the next Bitcoin block is essentially just a regular Bitcoin block with a lower difficulty, its inclusion of the preceding block header gives you a guarantee that it was made at least after that point in time. But effectively what it does is it's these faster blocks, each individual hasher is submitting them to the share chain when it's found every 30 seconds or so. And there's a check here to make sure that each share block is essentially including 
the all the people in the last shares going back as long as they keep the share chain active to uh, measure each put is included in the Coinbase transaction paying out the reward. And so th this works in a way where if because of the 30 second window, somebody say tries to just steal things and not pay anybody else, they have about 30 seconds from when they start doing that to find an actual valid block on the main chain and collect that. Otherwise they get busted by everybody else, pretty much excluded from that. And this is a way to guarantee that people can't penalize this. And pretty much this has a lot of scalability problems because when you have all of these individual low hash rate hashers, um, you know, collecting their share based on the share chain, that makes the Coinbase very big because each individual hasher has to get their share split out. And it also uh, pretty much uh, imposes a cost on a lot of the smaller miners because of the, the UTXO fragmentation. If, if you're only making, say, $5 on a block and, and there's a few hundred hashers doing that, everybody is getting these small UTXOs, which adds up the cost of, of condensing those. So it, it really disadvantages small miners because th they have to bear that cost disproportionately of taking these very small value outputs and pay the same per byte fee relative to miners making a lot more. And so some of these scalability issues, uh, Chris Belker from Join Market has proposed a integration of payment channels into the system. And what this would do is instead of each Coinbase transaction actually paying out onto the main chain, each individual hasher, what it would do is the, the actual miner that found the valid block would pay to a central hub or a, a group of hubs, picking whichever hub they choose to, with a output that either pays everything to the miner that actually found it with a six month lock time, so that in the event this hub tries to pull any funny business, the person who actually found the block can penalize them by taking it all. And the other output locked with a hash lock contract to the hub. This would allow is the central hub to instead of directly paying out everything on chain, it would open payment channels, unidirectional payment channels to each individual hasher. And because it's one sided, this is one of the more simpler things we could have done before Lightning Network and Segwit. It's just a pre signed transaction. You just move it out to that address that it's sent to and you update it. And because money's only moving one way, it's it's not all the complications of having to set things up like you would with Lightning Network. And so when a hub actually gets the block, it can update its payment channels with the everybody else in the network to reflect that state change. And in this way, all of these smaller miners can let these balances build up in the payment channel instead of getting all of these scattered small UTXOs and not have to pay that disproportionate cost. So this hopefully it will help the scalability of this system in the long run and allow a lot more of these distributed pools with smaller miners to pop up and not leave us so dependent on centralized mining pools.
Okay, let me TLDR that because that was very good, a very dense, rich amounts of information. Don't forget, you can rewind this video. You can play it back on half speed if you want to. Um, essentially, most mining at the moment done today is done using the Stratum protocol. Is that right, Shinobi? And that's a centralized website that you have to log into and your miner, you know, commit shares and you have to set up workers and it's all done through a centralized website. Yeah, it's it's all connected. Pretty much what Stratum does is it lets one person run the node and then it just gives the work to the hashers yeah. in like a certain range. And then different different mining pools have different policies on paper share and so forth, but you're essentially you're all divided up. The profits were divided up amongst the miners. But you have to trust the pool operator. That's the key thing. Now with P2 pool, you have a decentralized version of the mining. So you don't have to trust centralized miner. Um, and also, I think the hope was originally when this came out was that it would decentralize mining as well, because then more people could set up pools, it would be easier, and all you would need to do is open source the configs. The problem with that is that if you're only a small miner, a lot of the you, you can get a lot of um, you know buildup of uh, unspent transaction outputs, and as a result, you end up paying more in fees than what what your actual share is worth. So what? Elka is actually recommending is that we use payment channels, not too dissimilar to Lightning, right? Yes, is that a good TLDR? Exactly right. um, probably I'm missing a few other benefits of this as well. Well, it, it's it's mostly just because the, the the way that it prevents you from ripping somebody off and pay two pool is that 30 second block, where if somebody tries to and they don't get a valid block in that 30 seconds, then they're pretty much excommunicated from the network. Right, and what this would allow with with this hub structure, and the um, split between a hash lock and a time lock, respectively, to the hub and the miner that actually finds the block, that's a, a a mechanism that prevents that hub from just ripping everybody off, and so it it, it kind of introduces like a, the same type of prisoner's dilemma. That, that is a, a very frequently seen incentive structure in Bitcoin proper, where it should always be more profitable for that hub to continue paying everybody out legitimately through these payment channels. And it, it, it just, it sets things up in a way so that smaller miners aren't dealing with all of these small UTXOs for their mining rewards that are very expensive to spend because they can just let things build up in this payment channel for a while from those condensed UTXOs that the hub gets before they actually cash it out. So it should be more profitable and less disproportionately expensive for smaller miners to use. Right, and to answer Max Kaiser in the chat, it was actually Slushpool, I think, that originally originated this. Um, actually, this was just as I was getting into Bitcoin, um, I remember uh, learning about this, although I don't, I don't remember Slush's exact involvement. I wasn't paying as close enough attention to Bitcoin as I really should have been back in 2012. Uh, but I did have friends that, that were mining uh, Bitcoin and also Litecoin and, and also getting some Namecoin as well, because that's that was merged mined with Bitcoin. And um, yeah, this you can learn about the Stratum protocol over on the Bitcoin wiki. It's uh, bitcoin.it forward slash wiki forward slash Stratum mining protocol. It's up there. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Any Anyone else have anything before we move on? Uh, well, one thing I wanted to mention was um, there was a paper that was released a few months ago about the security of the Stratum protocol. And um, I, I won't go into detail here, but uh, one of the major things is that um, 
there's not a lot of encryption in a lot of these communication protocols uh, for pool mining. And so the paper actually suggests, uh, I mean, the paper suggested that um, we do this weird thing where we add um, a cookie to the um, something with the transaction, we had a cookie and that was supposed to make it harder to de-anonymize um, and potentially kick off miners from a pool. Um, Lalu, AKA roast beef on Twitter suggested that actually if we use um, SegWit, um, somehow that could also be used to increase the security of the Stratum protocol or, um, could, or could make up for the lack of security in the Stratum protocol. Um, but also a good method might just be to add TLS to it because right now it doesn't have TLS. Any follow-up, Shinobi? Uh, just that I don't like centralized things. Everybody yeah, start using decentralize people. all <laughs> the things, or at least all the things that can be decentralized. All right. Exactly. So, Mast. I, I want to know what Mast is, Shinobi, because I keep hearing people say that it's like the unsung hero of SegWit and how brilliant it is, but I actually admit that I don't know enough about it. Why don't you educate me on it? All right, well, first of all, I am by no means an expert, so anybody out there that sees anything I say incorrect, please correct me so I can make sure everybody's getting accurate information. But, but what, what this is is effectively an extension to pay to script hash. And the way that a normal Bitcoin transaction works is you have your public key, which matches your private key, and your coins to the hash of that public key so that when you actually go to spend it, you provide the full public key, the signature, see that it matches up and you can spend it. One of the first extensions to transaction formats was pay to script hash, where instead of directly encumbering it to the, the public key hash, you have the hash of a, of a script that it's locked to. And so this, this is what was done to make a more efficient uh, multi-signature address, which is why you always see multi-sig start with three, and now segwit starts with three because it's also utilizing pay-to-script hash. And out of pay-to-script hash is that you, you can have more complex conditions for being allowed to spend a coin, but all of that has to be submitted in the spend. So if you had a complicated script that has a, a lot of different ways you can spend something, that's going to be a very big transaction because you have to submit that entire script, even the parts that you're not using, in order to spend that coin. Well, uh, it's really quickly, what MAST is in short is breaking that script up into its own Merkle tree structure so that when you go to spend it, it, you can have these much more complex and bigger conditions that will let you spend the coin in varying situations. But when you go to spend it, you only have to submit the parts of the script that you actually use to unlock it. And so the three BIPs that were just proposed to almost no public attention are the three things that you really need to have the validation logic of this. The, the first one is a semantic structure for this Merkle tree. And the, the logic is a little different than a, a normal Merkle tree in Bitcoin. For instance, it's, it doesn't double hash 
uh, with SHA-256, all the component nodes of it. It just goes over with one hash. So this is quicker for actually constructing these and validating this. And it's effectively the, the serialization logic for how you would take the branches of the tree that you're actually executing and the hash proofs going back up to the root of the node to prove that it is in the, the hash that you're actually committing it to before you spend it. And this way, you, you just take what you need, the bits like you would in an SPV wallet in Bitcoin to prove that this, these scripts are part of what it was originally committed to, and then spend it. And then the second bit proposal is actually an opcode that would be able to handle going through and validating this. So pretty much it's it's a new opcode at, at the most base level of Bitcoin, what actually validates whether something is, is legal or not according to the consensus rules. And then the third one is the semantics of how that script is evaluated to true. Because right now you, you can do scripts that are valid under consensus rules, but non-standard. And non-standard means that it, it would be valid in a block, but a node seeing it would not relay it. And so this is these all three combined are taking the, the semantical structure and organizing that. So there's a standard organization for the Merkle tree introducing the opcode to actually validate this, and then introducing the semantics to allow it to be validated on the stack of the Bitcoin virtual machine. And this All would... of this is being done without, sorry, one last thing. Yeah, the, the most interesting thing is this is all being done without using the SegWit script versioning. So it's not eating up one of the spaces for introducing a new version of a script and would be quicker and more easily compatible with the existing software out there. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is awesome news. Let's talk about features and benefits. So one of the features that I've been hearing about is this ability to uh, write a script in a, a SegWit address so that when you spend from that uh, address at any point in the future, there's a time delay before it actually gets committed to the chain. Is that right? So there are features like this in that this would give rise to. That's the, the nice thing. You could have any kind of different conditional encumbrances that you can make out of Bitcoin opcodes. So let's say you want to have a branch of the code that would let one single key spend it, but only if we are past block height, blah, blah, blah. But you can also have another branch that would let every key spend it no matter what the time. And another branch that would let a single key spend it, but only if it has the hash of a certain piece of junk data, like a hash lock. And you could have all of these different branches with different conditions that would allow the coins to be spent, but without having that insanely big transaction submitting the whole script in the transaction. You only have to submit the parts you're using when you spend it. Yeah, this is really great. And I'll also say um, on a side note that a lot of people when they come into this space feel like they're kind of overloaded with information 
And there's a temptation, you know, when one is uh, dieting, you know, to jump for the sugars and to go with the the information and the content that's kind of reductionist and simplistic. And because you, your brain just wants, oh, give me a cartoon or give me something that can help me break it down. And there are some really good ones. And we could probably recommend a few as, as the show matures and develops. I think there's some great intros into Bitcoin. But once you've really got yourself in um, and you understand like the basic heuristics of Bitcoin, really the fastest way to learn is just to immerse yourself in that technical discussion and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you that are maybe several layers up and even if you don't understand everything they're saying that the way i learned it was i just used to listen to it like music like everything that shinobi's saying you can just let this wash over you you don't even have to understand it on the first sitting but the more you spend time with people that are talking at that higher level the faster you will get there because there a there's a financial incentive in bitcoin and crypto to to learn this information because being smarter can actually increase your bottom line i think there is a correlation there and also because you know there's nothing no no better way to learn a language than to, to actually travel to the country where that language is spoken and just be surrounded by uh, people that speak the language so that you're actually forced to use it and you're you're actually uh, submerged into that environment so that's why I recommend, and the links to all of the stuff that um, Shinobi discussed are, are in the description, they're down at the bottom. And just think that's a really wonderful uh, outro there, Shinobi, that's really, really good. So what other topics do, do we want to discuss, or does anyone have any thoughts before we go to the chat room? Uh, mind blown, sounds really good. It sounds like the mast, just... it sounds like the mast uh, is the mast to the arc that will bring us to the moon. That's great, but um, you know, you should have had more beers before you came on. To be honest, there, I'm a bit disappointed. <laughs> <today>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're disappointed. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just drinking water today. Sorry about that. Oh, that's not what uh, we pay it, you for. But it is, but it is sparkling. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah. Sorry about that. I have to up my um, appearance cost also so I can, you know, get some decent whiskey. We want you, like, um, interrupting you the know. technical guy while he's talking. Oh, shit. I was supposed to do that. <laughs> that what is that plastic I, lid I I'm screwing? I'm supposed to hear a cork pop. What are you I doing? Threw, I don't know. I threw away the, the, the script. I mean, we're on the script, you know, the strict script and... Uh, Damn it! I messed up. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry about this. It's pretty this. drunk right now, guys. Yeah, <laughs> you're ruining the show, Theo. This is getting a little weird. Okay, uh, got too busy. I was trying to speak Chinese in the chat. I do speak a little bit of Chinese, but I guess I'm kind of. I guess I got to get back into it. But anyway, um, I was get. You know, we were talking about the arc and the mast and how that. You know. It's going to take us to the moon and yeah you've had too many to the carbs there you've had too many thought you're having a carb crash right now all right <laughs> so what's the chat saying don't know well apparently well, Paul chat is a cup of tea it hasn't arrived yet but not that i'm complaining yeah um yeah but why would you put... oh shit someone's saying too why much you... i don't know if i like this yeah, but if tea. you dilute the tea why do you put milk and, and sugar in tea it's just too much just drink yeah, tea it's... Yeah, I've been having almond milk lately in my tea. Um, I really the unsweetened variety. I have to say it's uh, better okay. than that. Okay, but like, we're getting off track here. We got to stay on track to get the metrics right. So, um, 
All right, the next the next uh, topic. So we did uh, banning Bitcoin. Um, we're banning Bitcoin again. We've done Mast and we've done P2 Pool. Yes. And uh, th those are really, I mean, those were two pretty heavy technical things, but they're pretty important. I mean, P2 Pool, um, or I, if I'm wrong, just tell me, just, yeah, it's a decentralized mining pool. It's live now. It's been live for years. Anyone can join. Now, does it does it have any mechanism to benefit or small miners, or is it difficult for smaller or bigger miners, uh, Shinobi? It's actually um, more difficult for the smaller miners, and that's because okay. of the the frequency of payouts and the smaller amounts. It's more expensive for them to actually spend what they're making, and that that's exactly one of the issues that uh, Belker was trying to address with this payment right. channel proposal. Exactly. So basically, if you want, if anyone is watching and wondering, just you could go to one of those uh, pie charts where it shows you know, who mined the last blocks or how many blocks did this pool mine? Is it slush? Is it a uh, question mark? Is it discus fish? Or I don't even know if they're still around or whatever other pool um, is around. And yeah, sometimes you will see P2 pool mined a block. And it's not that many. So then, yeah, if you're a small miner, then you're waiting a long time to get a payment. And then, yeah, that, that might not be okay for you. But if you're a big one, that's okay. But but on the other hand, uh, there's no fee as far as I understand. So that's another benefit of the P2 pool. So I think, yeah, it totally makes sense that that should be the way um, or a, a way to mine Bitcoin that benefits Bitcoin at the same time because it's decentralized. Yeah, but guys, can we yeah, talk about serious things? Like James James Bond thinks I'm looking sexy today. Oh wow! What, what, what about what about me, James? You're always looking at you're always looking at Chris. Am, am I not here? Am I not a person too? <laughs> well, I, does he not bleed? Well, I think that I think that in order to cut this out of the show every week um, and to increase our metrics, uh, you just have to buy a membership to Chris's Patreon where he has special pictures <laughs> and poses of himself. <laughs> and then you can become part of the fan club and you can get the nice pictures. Yeah, we could start making these private. We could do super <laughs> chat for 10 Bitcoins, James Bond recommends. <laughs> yeah, that was the 10 bit, that was the thing. So, you know, I mean, I think that people in on our that are watching our show get it. Um, it's just that if if someone is watching this and they're, asking people on a chat video chat you know what should for financial advice like we said like that means what should i do or is it going up or is it going down and they're and you're really going to take that and take action off that single advice and you need to really question what's going on you know at, at least get more than what at least go to more than one doctor if you're going to yeah. you know, amputate your and wallet. These are really you know? bad doctors we're talking. We're talking like shoddy backstreet like doctors. I mean, you know, right. And and they don't have a third-party verified record of if they're good or not. So, I mean, wouldn't you like to know uh, what their record is and verified by third-party? I mean, that should be pretty simple, right? If they're a, if they're a professional advice giver, and there should be a list of their past advice if that if that's what they're doing you know if if you're not doing that then that's fine too you don't i don't i don't even think I don't, I don't think it's really necessary even a lot of times i mean sure if somebody asks me personally but i'm just saying 
you know, just keep that in mind, you know, about the record too and, and other things. Well, we so. see we see it a lot in, in the chat rooms, like there'll be some price action, like the price will tank or, or shoot up and then people will just flood into like whale pool and go, okay, guys, what's happening? What should I do? What, what, what do, what's everyone thinking? What happened? Why are we going down? That's a common thing. What's the news? What was the news? It's like off the yeah, right. Oh man. Oh man. Um, what's going on? What is going why did the why did the price move? What's going on? Why the price moves because the price moved. Decided it's time that he puts money in his bank account. So what's that doing? What that's it's pretty simple. That's do, what is that doing? That is basically kind of like uh opening up a mouth. And it's like, feed me narrative, feed me yeah. narrative. And it's like, I have a narrative for you. China ban Bitcoin. You get that. Oh, I have a narrative for you. It's the evil USA. I have a narrative. It's Trump's fault. I have a narrative yeah. for you. It's whoever else's fault. It's my, like, my favorite it doesn't one, even matter. My favorite one was um, after it was sort of the winter of 2016 in the Northern Hemisphere when China started devaluing the Yuan and everyone started pumping Bitcoin off the back of that narrative, right? Because every every night at midnight, there would like, be another devaluation in UK time, GMT. And then the price would just skyrocket. So you'd have a new daily candle. So you get accelerated price action, usually towards the end of significant time frame candle bars on, on the charts. So like the four hour, particularly the uh, 12 hour and daily are, are very common. As those candles come to a close, there's lots of price action because the bots in particular are trying to manipulate what, you know, the color of that candle and the body and the shape because that affects trader psychology. So what you end up with is this sort of narcissistic rally where everyone just starts to mimic other people's anticipated behavior, not because it's true, but because the perception becomes true. Like the actual, you know, we're, we're all buying because China is devaluing. And so we all expect and anticipate that other people will do the same thing with the same information. My strategy, my strategy for uh, giving out financial advice is that if someone asks me if they should invest in Bitcoin, I say no. And if they say why, I said because you asked me, <laughs> because you asked me if you should, because that means you didn't do enough research. Could you, could you simplify that for me? So my, my thinking on people who asked me if they should invest in bit, because I, <laughs> I was just trolling her. We're in the same room. Okay. Uh, okay. He was trolling me. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, anyway, so <laughs> yeah. So the reason is because, um, you know, I got into Bitcoin just because I was interested in it and I was willing to take that risk. And so I feel like if people are really in, interested in investing in Bitcoin in a safe and responsible way that they would do their own research beforehand. And sure, they can ask me about the fundamentals of Bitcoin or how does it work? Why, what makes it a currency? If they ask me those questions, I'll give them an answer. But if they just come up to me and say, should I invest? I say, no, you should go do your own research first. So a lot of the, the conversation in the chat is turning to forks. And I think one of the things I wanted to touch on today um, was the idea that anyone can actually fork the chain at any point in its history in theory, right, Shinobi? Like you could just do a fork back on like the 1st yep. of August or mid-July sometime and then just say, right, I'm launching this new coin from this block kind. Yep. 
exactly. And that's, that's just a consequence of how the system works. It's completely voluntary. And the only reason that you continue following the chain that you do is because you run software that is specifically coded to follow those conditions. And if you choose to, you can change those conditions to whatever you want. It's just a question of, are you going to be going off by your lonesome into the woods or are other people coming with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we did, we did actually have a request yesterday that we should allow the show to run on a little bit if we if we like the chat. Um, and so I've decided to to open this up. If anyone does have any more questions they want to ask in the chat, we're still under an hour. I like to keep these shows you know, somewhat limited in terms of time, because if you've been following me on my crypto career, you'll remember that we did some very, very long shows. Some of them were like eight hours and, and longer when we did the full node uh, campaign. We were like doing these big marathon events. And I, I find that the really long shows tend to become a bit rambly and self-indulgent where the host is basically just, you know, indulging themselves in, in whatever topic, you know, is interesting to them. But then often what you find is that people only leave it on in the background and they're not really paying attention or people just kind of tune out. So if anyone has any more questions, be happy to put in some more time. Any of the panelists have any more thoughts, you can also come in. I don't know when when are, when are we gonna like um you know get get to get to 10k man I I, I really want to get to 10k so I, so I can start looking around for yachts to buy you know maybe maybe they're gonna be going on sale with with this whole hurricane thing. Gosh, what's going on? Well, yeah, so, really, so we found out that, that was Shinobi, really hardcore. Shinobi does funny voices. We we learned this about him the other day on the chat. A few people signed out like they they closed that window or we're down to 67 viewers now. This was about seven people because of you, Shnemi. It was like, oh, my ears, my ears. Uh, you're oh, hurting yeah. our metric. Uh, we, we've got to have standards, guys. This is hurting the metrics. Yeah, we're hurting we've the got metrics. We've got to have, hurting our ad you have to. So what we're, uh, my proposal is that um, in the green room, before we get started, we all do um, vocal exercises in order to pronunciate more clearly. Uh, pitter pitter patter go the raindrops raindrops pitter pitter patter on the window pane over and over and then we will be able to enunciate better um, and then we can explain Bitcoin better and, and and so on and we can improve our metrics as well and uh, you know someone it's I don't think that there's there's no one I don't know anyone in mumble or in the show or any or anyone that has said I don't want the show to be popular. It was never, I never heard anyone say that. That was so weird. I just heard, you know, it's just hap, it's whoever, however many people are watching it is how many people are watching it. And we do promote it. You know, we do put it on Twitter or tell people about it, or I guess those are the main ways. I guess we're not doing a like Reddit blast or we could go on Fiverr and like, you know, just like blast this thing. It's not going to really help anything though. So I don't know. We could pay those Bitcoin uh, twins. <laughs> uh, we could get one of the. We could go to Fiverr and get one of those. Um, you know, people that do those announcements, like yeah, yeah, subscribe to Block Digest today. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, get we one of those videos. Those are pretty cool, actually. But how about this for an idea? Let's get the number of viewers down. So we're at 64 at the moment. I reckon we could get sub 60 in the next five to ten minutes. <laughs> let's, let's, so let's, this is like, uh, 
Why are you still watching this? Just switch it off. Metric Play limbo. <laughs> metric, metric limbo. It's like do the limbo. Uh, yeah. Metric limbo, basically. Yeah, this is that's kind of that's a, that's a you know we're 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 in the right direction. We're rambling. We're going. Yeah, we're, we're rambling. not necessarily Let's, going let, on. Let topic. me see if I can get it to go up. Okay, so I'm going to talk about price action. Okay, Bitcoin's okay. going to six thousand question mark. Is good. Could we see six k? Oh no, wait. We can't. I don't know. Black, I mean, Black Swan event. Damn it. I mean, what kind of time? I, I'm expecting um, approximately 18 days of bullish action, according to the blue candle on blue candle. three day. And uh, no, I just made that. <laughs> just uh, just go we, with it. Uh, I want to. And uh, well, you don't have the right. Well, you don't have the right indicator suite with the blue candle on the three day. But uh, if you do, okay, I got to like, this. I, I've, been, I've been trading for like almost a year now. Like mostly profitably. What the hell is a blue candle? <laughs> okay, all right, I can answer this. Okay, so this is SCMR, not affiliated uh, with SC, that Spider Crusher indicator in any way, other than I may have purchased it at some point, as you can evidently see from my screen sharing. And it's run by a sort of friend of ours called Dan, who's sort of been, you know, at now and then has come into Whirlpool, and I think he did an interview with BTC Bix that you can find on YouTube somewhere. But um, basically, the blue candle is kind of legendary, I guess, in in the trading chat rooms. It's this, you know, candle which apparently can predict upward price action. It's a pivot candle. It usually here you go. You see on the three day here, it signals the bottom of a downtrend and a reversal to the upside. And on the longer time frames, statistically speaking, it can be very predictive of up moves. But I'm extremely cautious in saying this because when I said I was going to do price action, I said I wasn't going to use any custom indicators. This is a proprietary uh, custom indicator. Well, that looks you your chart looks totally generic, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at all this stuff. Oh, I mean, this is just like <laughs> the one I loaded up. I don't use. I mean, this, this is like a line trade. chart, you know, for everyone. I don't want to use any custom indicators, so I'm going to break out the line chart here. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, no I level. I I don't like the term indicator. I, I call them memes. Memes. Yeah. Memes. Well, okay. That's the. So the thing is, it can have a self. You know recursive effect in the sense that if everyone trades on the same information then of course you can expect that you're going to get accelerated price action in that direction if you found an edge in the market and you expose the edge in that market then the edge that you found will steadily stop working right because other people will come in and the spread will will decrease and the market will become more and more efficient but um, yeah, it's like fib extensions or whatever. You can see here that some of these, you know, blue candles are very uh, predictive um, of bottoms or bottoming areas. Even during times of consolidation, you see that the price action doesn't fall much below um, the open of the of the blue candle, even when you get, uh, you know, fur further down downward movement um, but that eventually it will consolidate you'll get what's called the confirmed reversal up which is this gray one with the circle around it um, and you can see if you had like a you know a pretty decent um, where is it now the risk reward I don't even know where it is yeah there it is um, you can see if you had a stop loss right what is uh, what is all this and we then, just want to know if it's going up it? or down Oh shit! You don't want to learn anything. But if you had a, you know, you had a decent stop loss, right, on this candle, you would have done quite well. And if you kept doing that on all these blue candles over time, you would win more than you lost. And if you were keeping a good risk reward ratio, say two point five to one, 
so like this is that so, moon for, yes that's moon so yeah that's moon if you kept on doing this you would only have to win around 38 percent of the time in order to break even but anyway yeah i did i did a, a video on kelly betting strategies the whale pool might do another one at some you point you did a video on kelly betting strategies yeah with mayvu really yeah okay why do well, you find actually, that surprising Oh, I'm, oh, I'm surprised that Kelly you're Criterion. into Kelly. I didn't know that you were into Kelly Criterion. Yeah, well, I'm into uh, bankroll management. I'm into... Okay, well, well, that yeah. indicator or the uh, SMR, SC, whatever the hell it's SCMR. called, is, is, uh, does have Kelly Criterion in it somehow. Uh, I have to go watch the interview again. He talks no, it, about it. He talks about it. It doesn't, uh, but it is efficient. It is... Uh, yeah, Kelly, how do I Kelly, it's Criterion. made to go. Yeah, he was thinking about it when he built it. How about yes, that's yeah, what I mean. sure. yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and that goes into the whole this whole idea that when a lot of people get into crypto, they get into trading because that's the only way you can really um, buy um, Bitcoin, and so then they get immersed in this kind of you know they go into the chat, they see the troll box. Well, Poloniex doesn't have one anymore, um, but they now they're all going on Telegram, right? And they're they're getting immersed in this gambling culture that I think comes with a lot of this crypto. And they start trading, but very few people actually think about bankroll management. So very few people are like, you know, everyone's just going on intuition. Like, I'm just going to pile. I'm going to go long here. And I'm just going to go all in long. I'm not going to think about, well, how many, if I lose, uh, you know, nine out of the 10 bets, how much money am I going to have left to recover my losses, you know? Um, so they're not thinking about dividing up their overall bankroll and then putting a percentage of, of their entire risk capital yeah. on each trade. They're just thinking, well, oh, oh, look, it's going up. Buy, 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 and use lots of leverage yeah. and go. Well, isn't that interesting? Because no one, no, what what talking head talks about that? Well, pretty much none of right. it. You see what like I mean? Yeah. How to trade responsibly? Um, well, staking. Yeah, staking. What's the st or that? Well, that's what that's one way to call it, you know staking and, and when to and and everyone uh, needs to remember that no trade is a trade. You know, sitting on your hands is a trade in itself, and that's actually mm. what separates a lot of the. Uh, it actually separates um, uh, the average troll box user from you know someone that's actually been successful trading is that. Uh, they understand how to stake. What I mean by stake is the amount that of your of your bankroll that you're willing to put at risk at one trade at any given time. And uh, what Chris brought up with the Kelly criterion is basically, uh, in essence, is this a valuable risk? Is this risk worth it? You know, is this a yeah? Is this a valuable? A point to to risk and and if it's and if it's worth a lot then you could stake more and if it's only worth a little well then you could stake less so if you're just going all in every time then you're not paying attention that's a, that would then your stake would be all in every time and that's that's going to lead you down a really bad road even if even if you're good at um the other parts so it's like that's like one part of the puzzle. Uh, you see what I mean, Chris? You know, if you're yeah, yeah. Dude, we're almost down to sixty viewers. Keep keep doing what you're doing. Almost down to sixty. I thought we were supposed to put everything into one position and then just spam the troll box trying to get everyone to buy it. Isn't that how you're supposed to that's trade? That's basically the strategy uh, of every crypto trader. Oh, you mean altcoin trading? You mean yeah, like, like saying, go all uh, in and shill the hell out of it. Yeah. 
Is that okay? So you mean like after this? Yeah, I think after this show, um, someone who is there someone in Mumble that can like roll altcoins or something like some the programmer dude. Just get him to roll masked coin. Uh, pump that out, and that'll you know just go on the hype because it's called masked. You know, at some point there's going to be news about masked, and people will think it's masked coin, and then boom, there you go. You know something that like I I, I don't want to do this because I, I think it is horribly unethical. <laughs> but lately, I find myself wondering if you just wrote a Python script that did nothing but run a pointless loop and eat up CPU cycles and just displayed numbers on a screen, how many people would run that and for how long? Like not knowing that it's it's just a nonsense. <laughs> it's nothing to do with it. Just spewing out random information and people just thinking they're actually placing bets they're not making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, right, well, that like looks really colorful. Guys, what do all these it's lines not, mean? It's not. Colorful. This is Ruby, but we'll have to get we'll have to get um, beauty bubbles going right. and talk about right. this. So right. Yeah, we'll we have to get basically made of moving averages going up or down. You want to know it's if going it's going up or down, down. but what's about this? Is it A, it's free and it's not proprietary, and B, what I like about it is these are all moving averages, but it doesn't matter what time frame you're on. So the moving average is fixed to a time frame, so you can be on any time frame. You can be on like the one minute, and it will still give you the same information as you were, say, on the 15 minute. So that, that's kind of a unique property. And I also like indicators that take away the standard colors of the candles, because oftentimes the whole green and red thing can really give you, you know, pareidolia, where you start to see patterns where there aren't any. And um, I think sometimes it can be refreshing to like take out that noise and just give you a bit more price structure, give you a bit more information on the structure. So we didn't quite reach our goal of getting fewer than 60 viewers. So we failed on that, which I, I tried, but you guys just kept Damn it. back in. This is way too popular. This is too popular. We're doing too well. We have to set up a new YouTube channel and just not tell them where it is. Just come up with hashes. All right, that's me. it. I'm bored. Burn it all down. Light it on fire. Yeah, burn it down. But guys, listen, thanks very much uh, in all seriousness for tuning in and staying with us throughout this whole whole episode as well. Um, do uh, like and subscribe, but remember, you only have to do that if you want to. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye for now.